Hallelujah. For he is great and greatly bless to be praised. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. Hallelujah. 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 For what he is doing in this place. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Have your way in this place. Hallelujah. We ask that you would get your Bibles in your hand as we open up our service with our Old and New Testament scriptures. Amen. Our Old Testament scripture will be coming from Psalm 23, followed by our New Testament scripture, which will be coming from 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We ask that you would stand in reverence to the word of God. Hallelujah. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. <clears throat> Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter number 13. Starting with the first verse. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth, suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Do not behave itself unseemingly. Seek not her own, is not easily provoked, Think of no evil. Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Put your hands together Hallelujah. and bless the Lord for his word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. If you haven't had a chance to give at this time, hallelujah, this is all a part of worship as well. Hallelujah. We ask that you come from wherever you are, hallelujah, to give up in your time and in your offering, hallelujah, before we bless them. Father, we thank you for this, your offering that we've taken up for the purpose, Lord God, for your kingdom, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would bless those that had to give and those that didn't have to give, that they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
Sing hallelujah, Christ is real. 
is taken care of. Because oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Yes, he is. We sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Once again, oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. celebrate you that have come to join with us here in the house. Amen, amen. We salute our first lady who is at home still caring for my son. We thank the Lord for her. Know that we love you. For those on the California West Coast campus, we salute you and thank the Lord for you. And those of you on the East Coast campus, we salute you as well. We thank the Lord for Fremont, Ohio, who's joining with us today. We're excited about what God is doing. Amen. It is my esteemed honor and privilege before we get into the Word of God to introduce uh, someone that's become a friend. He's uh, technically my 
Bosses, 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 boss. I may have lost a boss in there somewhere, but he is way up there. But we thank the Lord for him. He has really been a blessing uh, to me and my family. Uh, everyone knows what's happened to uh, my youngest son, Noah. Um, and uh, this man got wind of it and reached out and has stayed in contact with me ever since. And that's just not something that I'm accustomed to um, when you deal with political leadership or uh, any other kind of leadership. That quality of leadership has also is unfortunately become lost um, as we're just busy about doing the things that are expected of us. But he took time to reach out, to stay in contact, to share a word. And the best thing is he's a believer. <laughs> Hallelujah. When I needed someone to speak into my life, God connected us. So I want to, you know, you know me, I don't, this, this desk is sacred. And I don't let anybody stand behind it. But I'm honored to call a brother in Christ and a friend to come to address you, to share with you whatever the Lord puts on his heart to share. We're so honored to have this man as the safety director for the city of Columbus. We're so honored to have him, Mr. Robert Clark. He has a testimony, believe me, that will blow your mind. His testimony alone will lead people to the altar. Hallelujah. He is a testimony of coming from nothing and becoming what the enemy fought so hard to prevent him to become. So without further ado, I ask my friend and my brother, Robert Clark, to come to the podium and address the congregation. come a mighty long way, but I'm not going to bore you with that journey today because I want to be able to stand before you and just share a quick message with you. First and foremost, I am not here alone. I believe in partnerships because I recognize that I can't do it alone. I have with me today Ms. Lori Francescan, who's from the Department of Public Health, because we are in the business of bringing health, healing, and restoration to our community. The message I want to share with you today is that I've been honored at almost 36 years in law enforcement, starting as a Youngstown police officer right up the street from us, to go to the FBI, to travel around the world, and to serve, and to understand the blessings that have been given to me and upon me are not mine to keep. They are mine to give away. Amen? One of the things that was really on my heart this morning that I want to share with you, and I firmly believe, and we sit in the house of grace and mercy. Yes. 
which we know and have faith in the fact that grace and mercy is renewing every day. It is not something we can earn. It is not something we can pay for. Through the goodness of our Father, it is renewing every day. And is it upon us every day to make sure that we spread that good news to others? As the Director of Public Safety, I am first and foremost a man of God. And I will lead that way. When I interviewed with the mayor, I shared with him that I understand my true north. And I understand where it comes from. And I know that it is never the wrong time to do the right thing. We know that we live in a city that is under siege by people who don't know God and don't know the grace and mercy of God. We have some amazing leadership in the city. The women and men who work for the Division of Police, the Division of Fire, and all of public safety are out there right now serving and protecting. Let me say that again, serving and protecting. We have an amazing new chief and assistant police chief who are in the community, who are leading an effort to change the way we operate in the city of Columbus. You've probably heard me say that this, these are historic times because these are the times and the bridges upon which we will build for a newer path and a better way for our children to follow. We have that responsibility. But we can't do it alone. We need your help. I am here to share with all of you who are present in God's house today and all who are joining us online that nationally we need your help. We need to restore that parenting is not unpopular. That speaking about the Lord in our homes is not unpopular. And to model that behavior that we want to see in our houses, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and across this nation. We have been called to action. You hear our young people talk about it is time to be woke, but it is time to be engaged and return to the foundation of where grace and mercy comes from, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I recognize that I'm the director of public safety. I know that comes with a lot of responsibility. It comes with a lot of burden but it also comes with a lot of honor. And to be able to partner with my brother in his time of need, an officer that I did not know, a sergeant that I did not know, but I understood what it means for our children to be in harm's way. Personally, I understand what that means. So in my spirit, I had to reach out to him. I had to speak with him. I had to pray with him a couple times a day for weeks, a couple times a day. And when I had the opportunity to finally meet him face to face, even in this pandemic, it was like we have known each other forever. Because God knows how to bring things together. Does he not? He knows how to bring things together. I am honored to be able to stand with the LaSalle family in their time of need with prayer, encouragement. But I'm also honored to be able to stand with and in and upon our community in their time of need. Family, we had two children killed this week. We had another young man that lost his life. Others who have lost their lives just this week. We are in a time of crisis. We are in a time where we've got to return to from which grace and mercy flow. 
and to be able to share the good news that we serve a living Savior and begin to pull our communities back together, begin to pull our children out of a place of darkness and despair where they don't even value their own lives, let alone the lives of others. So family, I'm not going to take much more time. I just wanted an opportunity to be able to greet you this morning. I'm happy and honored to be in the house of the Lord with my brother and with my friend. And while I may work for him every day, it is working towards that ultimate kingdom that we are both focused on and we are both giving glory to this morning. Because there will be a time, as I always jokingly say, where those of us who serve today will be sitting somewhere talking about what we used to do and how we used to work. But the work of the Lord must continue. The healing of the Lord must continue. So that grace and mercy continues to be abundant. Amen? Amen. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Truly, we thank the Lord for the director and the words that he shared with us. I'm excited about God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It's no secret that the foundation of not just the city of Columbus, the state of Ohio, but the foundation of the United States is under attack. The very things that called this nation into existence, that birthed this nation, that allowed this nation to become what it is, are under attack. Over the last several months, we've been talking about God. We've been talking about the names of God because it is the names of God that reveal his character. It is the names of God that identify for us the very things that God wants us to know about him so that we might grow in confidence, that we might grow in faith. You've heard me often say that Jesus never prayed that we would not have problems. That was never his prayer for us. He never prayed that you would not go through the fiery furnace. He never prayed that every day would be sunshine and it would only rain when you're asleep at night. He never prayed that. What he did pray was is that when you go through, that your faith not fail you. He said, I have prayed that your faith not fail. In other words, your confidence in him to get you through. God in his word has declared the reason for our confidence. And we've been talking about that. Today, I want to talk about the compound name of God, Jehovah Saba. This translates basically into Lord, the Lord, our warrior. You see, sometimes things happen in our lives that we just can't explain. Some things we bring upon ourselves, if we're going to be honest, sometimes we mismanage stuff. Sometimes we make decisions we wish we could take back. We say things we wish we could unsay. We do things we wish we could undo. But unlike video games, you can't hit restart. And it all just start over again as if nothing happened. Sometimes we didn't intend for things to happen. And we know 
even in some cases, the things that happen to us aren't a result of things that we've done. We're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But one of the things that I've come to realize in study of God's word is that some of the crisis that we are in, some of the things that we go through, they reveal the timelessness of our creator. You see, God isn't bound by time, and you've heard me say this, and I've talked at length about how God deals with time. But God doesn't think in the terms of yesterday or tomorrow. In God, there is no yesterday, nor is there a tomorrow. He guides and leads as he is, and he prompts us according to his knowledge, and God is I am or right now. This is why he knows the end from the beginning, because in God, the end and the beginning are functioning at the same time. Sometimes he does this in a way that allows us to just get a glimpse into what it is it would be like to live without the boundaries of time where he lives. And I want to talk to you today about some things connected to the giants that are in your life. I don't plan to hold you long, but if I go longer than five minutes, blame it on Jesus. (laughs) We are all dealing with giants in our lives. We sometimes like to ignore the giants and act like, you know, they're not there. We close our eyes real tight, get under a blanket, and pretend like the giants are just going to go away on their own. But our denial is not enough to eradicate the work of giants against us. Giants are those things which are not easily defeated, and even in moments of victory, the impact of the battle, the scars that are gained from the fight are not easily forgotten. In 1 Samuel, we read about the greatest giant fight in history. This fight was so huge, it was bigger than the rumble in the jungle. It was bigger than Tyson Holyfield. This was the greatest battle in history. This was more than just a fight between flesh and blood. It was an epic battle between good and evil, between right and wrong, between God and the devil. And if you're paying attention to the current climate, you'll find that we are engaged in a battle right now. We are engaged in a battle over the soul of this city. There are spiritual powers in play. We think that the fight is being fought at the level of our flesh when in reality our flesh is manifesting a fight that is being engaged in the spirit realm. You see, on one side stands a warrior whose name alone terrified his foes. This giant towers at nine feet, nine inches tall. He's a mammoth of a man, a specimen beyond none other. He was referred to in Scripture as Goliath from Gath. Then you look at the other side of the battle, and here stands a little boy without armor, And if he stood straight up and stood on his tippy toes, he might reach just high enough to stare right into Goliath's midsection. Barely. But for David, this was an actually a good thing. You see, Goliath was more than just big. He he hailed from a group of people who traced their roots beyond this planet. We're first introduced in Scripture to them in the book of Genesis The sixth chapter in the fourth verse where the Bible declares the sons of God 
came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. There's an epic you know, story that rivals some of the greatest things that we've seen Marvel Comics put out. You see, they're a mixed breed of fallen angel and man called Nephilim or giants. And though most of them were annihilated in the flood, remnants could be found afterward. 2 Samuel 21 and 20 declares, There was war at Gath again where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each, feet, on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giant. Deuteronomy 3 and 11 tells us only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Those are giants. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits and its width four cubits. Numbers tells us in 1332 through 33, all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There are also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. You see, we're looking at a giant that goes beyond just size and statue, but comes from a lineage that comes even beyond us. You see, Goliath came from a rare species. He was of a dying breed of giants whose reputation was enough to keep an enemy at bay. Goliath's looming presence dominated the landscape, and he might even be called the last shadow because he would be the last shadow you ever saw. His footsteps beat the ground. Draped over his supersized frame, the Bible declares was a scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, as a military and civilian police officer, I've had the, uh, I, the, 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 the privilege to wear honor, or, or armor, and that armor is heavy. It can weigh anywhere between 20 to 50 additional pounds on the body. It's uncomfortable to wear. Many even choose not to wear it. It weighs you down. It wears you out. Now, think about the armor that Goliath war. It probably weighed more than David weighed himself. 175 pounds of armor would make Goliath seem to be impenetrable. And that was only his upper body. Goliath was a bad dude. And I don't mean that in a good way. I know we, we, we reverse words today. Bad means good. Good means bad. But he was big, he was dangerous, he was daunting. And this battle that's going to take place between the Israelites and the Philistines is a, a classic battle in Scripture. These are two nations, and they're competing for a medal or a title. They were competing for land, for servants, and the well-being and survival of their own people. There was a, theirs was a fight for freedom. Thousands of soldiers lined up on each side. We read in 1 Samuel 17 and 3, the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. 
The armies would glare at each other from a distance until one man, Goliath, whom we specifically read, is a champion that came forward from the ranks of the Philistines, and he would offer a challenge. He says, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and your servants of Saul? Choose a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. So here we find in Scripture a challenge has been issued. And this challenge is a game changer. You see, the Israelites had stood for days in front of this massive army of the Philistines, and they had already faced a myriad of threats and problems and difficulties and oppositions, but all of that only got worse when one giant stepped forward. He was only one giant, but one giant is one giant too many, just like one death is one death too many. You see, most of us can handle the regular problems or the normal problems in life. We don't like them, but when they loom in the distance, we can manage to keep moving. Yet it's when that one giant thing shows up in your life that tries to change everything about your life. You see, nothing is said about the Israelites fearing the Philistines or worrying about fighting the Philistines until the giant showed up. This is what the Bible says. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You see, there was an unexpected twist of events that left Israel at a clear disadvantage. They didn't have any giants on their side. They were overpowered and quickly became undisputed underdogs in this fight. Now, you know... You're in a giant-sized battle, not only by its massive size, but also by the effect that the battle you're in has on you. Knowing what fight you're in is the first step in winning the battle. You have to understand what it is you're engaging. You see, the Israelites were afraid, and because of their fear, they became paralyzed. They couldn't move. They had no one to send against this monster. So they did exactly what many of us do, nothing. Has the fear of a giant ever gripped you to such a degree that it prevents you from moving forward? I've seen this very city afraid to move forward, afraid to make change. You see, change is scary. One thing that we don't like is change. Something else we don't like is the way things are. But you can't get from the way things are to something else unless you change. Yes, sir. Maybe you've experienced this before in your job or in your home or in your health or in your finances. Whatever it might be, giants oftentimes will call the shots. They will dictate your emotions. They will dictate your action or lack of action. The giant sets the agenda. It hoards the ball. It won't go away, just like Goliath of Gath. You see, day after day, Goliath taunted Israel. 
Night after night, Israel lay awake in fear, knowing they had no legitimate contender to go up against this ogre of a man. His taunt was relentless. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. You see, there was an attitude about the giant. But then David showed up. You see, his father sent him to take some roasted grain and some bread and some cheese to his brothers at the front lines. So David left his flock of sheep in the care of another, and he heads to the valley of Elah. This wasn't the first time that David had been at the battle site. He had gone back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. But this was the first time that we find David had something to say. The Israelites had said, the king will enrich the man who kills Goliath with great riches and will give his daughter, give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Uh, it's not a bad day at the office if you can work that out for yourself. To be given the daughter of the king, hopefully she's cute. It would mean that you'd be marrying into royalty. You'd be connected to something that has great power. It reminds me of the challenge to go one round in the ring with Mike Tyson in his prime. When he was the most ferocious and you would win a whole lot of money, but you had to make it through one round. I can run pretty fast if Mike Tyson is chasing me. You see, David's reply to the men of Israel revealed that his perspective on the giant was not the same as everybody else's perspective. Your perspective about your fight will determine whether you will enjoy victory or enduring defeat. How you see what you're fighting is a key to success. Keep in mind that your perspective is not just what you see. Perspective is how you see what you see. Perspective is a key to knowing and applying the character of the name of God in order to live the abundant life his word promises. This is why God has revealed his name to us. He wants us to begin to see life through him. No longer peering at life through the lens of weakness or lack or sickness or depravity, but through the lens of God's ability to keep us in each and every situation that we face. The one question that irks me more than anything else is how do we do that? You see, at its core is a direct challenge to faith. Because faith says, I don't know how. I just know it will. It's a question which challenges the validity of my belief and wants to quantify my response. It is a question which says, in truth, I will determine if what you say is possible or true. I'm learning to stop asking God how and just thanking him for the substance of what I've hoped for as the evidence of what was not naturally seen. You see, my vision is changing, and thus so is my perspective. 
The Israelites saw the same giant that David saw. They just didn't see him the same way that David saw him. You see, Israel looked at his size, his strength, and his armor. David looked straight ahead, zeroing in on a very critical reality. Goliath had not been circumcised. Now, when you're sizing up your enemy, that's really a weird thing to focus on. I mean, typically, you're going to look at their defensive capability, their offensive capability, you know, their strength, their stature. Does it look like they can go a few rounds? David looks, and I'm, you know, to know that he was not uncircumcised says that some things were exposed. But that's what David focused on. You see, not only did he focus on that, but it brought to truth a critical reality. This is what David said. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? You see, everyone else had seen how large the giant loomed, but because David knew God and the power of his name, he had a different perspective than everyone else did. David saw something much more important than what everyone else saw. He saw that the giant had not been to the doctor. No circumcision could only mean one thing. You see, circumcision connected you to the promise and the provision of God. It connected you to the protection of God. And David said, I'm circumcised. He ain't. That means I'm connected to what is greater than what he's connected to. You see, no circumcision means no supernatural covering. The rite of circumcision ratified the covenant between God and his people. All males in Israel were circumcised on the eighth day to signify that they had belonged to this covenant and to position themselves underneath its provision, power, and protection. It connected them to God. To be circumcised meant that you belonged to the family of God. To be uncircumcised meant that the power of God's name was not on your side because you had no divine covering. You were a pagan. Now, you may have been a big and intimidating pagan, but you were still just a pagan. It was as simple as that. It's simple because it's obvious. But it's also difficult because so many men in the Israelite army missed it. They looked up at the towering brute that stood before them and they cowered in fear. But David didn't look up. He looked straight ahead and said, I've got it because God's got it. That man ain't been cut. You see, if it's not God standing as your enemy, then all enemies can be defeated by the God who is standing with you, in you, through you, and by you. Let me say it again for you. If it's not God standing as your enemy, then all enemies can be defeated by the God who is standing with you, in you, through you, and by you. There is absolutely nothing that you cannot conquer when God is on your side. 
You see, the Israelites were right with fear, and the, many of us today crumble in the shadow of a giant for the same reason. We look at the wrong thing. We look at Goliath's size without evaluating his status. When we do that, we allow the size of the giant to eclipse the size of God, and that's how we lose our battle. You see, something small can easily eclipse something larger. The sun is staggering in size, but if you put a quarter between your eye and the sun, that tiny quarter can block out the enormity of the sun. The men saw Goliath. David saw God. Those are two totally different perspectives. To put it another way, David saw the spiritual reality behind the physical problem. All the Israelites saw is what they saw. Sometimes God will allow you to experience a bigger-than-life Goliath so that you will experience a bigger-than-Goliath God. But you will never get to experience the bigger-than-Goliath God if your eyes are focused on the bigger-than-life Goliath. Uh You see, giants too often rule many of our hearts and our homes today because we've lost the ability to look beyond what we see in order to view the spiritual reality that's surrounding it. If we miss seeing the uncircumcision because we are looking at the height, we will continue to be overrun and intimidated by the giants in our lives. Perspective is everything. Paul tells us in his letter to the church at at Ephesus that our perspective on the ultimate reality ought to come from another location. He writes that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2 and 6. So the term heavenly places refers to the spiritual realm. We are located in two places at the same time. We exist physically here on the earth and we are also seated with Christ in heaven. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has given us a seat in another location. But the enemy tries to get us to forget our heavenly location. If we let him do that, we limit our perspective to what we can see physically. Uh You see, it's all about perspective. My brothers and sisters, you need to know where you're seated if you're ever going to access the power of God's name. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. That reality ought to change the way you view the Goliaths in your life. Goliath isn't so big when you have to look all the way down from heaven just to get a glimpse of him. You can save a lot of time and energy dealing with the giants you face by learning how to view them from your actual location and position than your simple physical spot. Do you know where David got this confidence to defeat defeat this giant of a man? David got it from what he saw. You see, he was able to see what he saw because he knew the power of God's name. And let me close this out today with an approach. How do you approach a Goliath-sized problem? I'll tell you one way not to approach your giants. That's with someone else's anointing, which is exactly... What almost happened to David. You see, too often we're trying to function in somebody else's anointing, but we can't handle the anointing of another because that anointing is not for us. 
After some of the men heard what David was saying about Goliath, they told Saul. So Saul, the king, he summons David to his presence and he questions him. He says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth while he's been a warrior from his youth. 1 Samuel 17 and 33, check the text. But David quickly tells Saul he had killed both a lion and a bear. And once again, he pointed out this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. So then Saul does what Saul does because Saul is looking through the perspective of men. He clothes David with his garments and puts a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him in in armor. But David almost fell over. He couldn't barely walk because he hadn't tested the armor that Saul had put on him. So David made a manly decision. He took off the armor that someone else gave him, and he chose to fight the giant in his own anointing instead. He chose to fight his own battle with the tools that he had. I hear the Spirit of God telling me to tell you, Fight the battle with the tools that he has given you. He has anointed you in your life for this purpose, for this season, for this time. This was not a, a decision, though the mayor would like to think it was a decision that he made to put you in the position that you're in. But in truth, all elevation comes from God. You are here because you have acquired the tools necessary to see this city into a whole new place, to direct safety in a whole new direction, because God has anointed you for this purpose. Use the tools that he's given you. There's a reason why you endured what you've endured in life. There's a reason why your testimony is what your testimony is. It wasn't just because. It wasn't for happenstance. It wasn't because the enemy got the upper hand. Because all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You know what it is to lose. You know what it is to have to fight. You know what it is to have to get down into the muck and the mire, into the dirt on the front line and do what is necessary what is uncomfortable, what is inconvenient. You know it because God has brought you through it. Use the tools. You see, you can't expect to win your battle in somebody else's armor, but many people try. Not only that, you can't let someone else force their armor on you. Just because it worked for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you the way that it worked for them because God is doing a new work in you. The kingdom of life is not a cookie cutter life. God has a unique way that he wants to take you to your destination. Never fall into the trap of wearing someone else's armor. Instead, clothe yourself in the power of the name of God because it positions you right where God wants you to position yourself so that you can invoke the authority of God's name involves not only your perspective the view from your seat in God's kingdom on high but also the courage to recognize and use the strengths that God has given you 
don't copy somebody else. Because in truth, what they did did not work if we are where we are. When David approached Goliath, he did it with what he knew. He did it with what he had. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So David faces this challenge with what he had. Well, what did he have? He had confidence in victory because of what he knew. Well, what did he know? He knew that his enemy was not covered by the covenant of God, but he was. So David also approached the giant. Do you remember what the Israelites did each day when Goliath came to taunt them? They went in the other direction. They went on the defense. But a powerful Christian does not score playing defense. It's difficult to score playing defense. A child of the king conquers his giants when he goes on the offense, which is exactly what David did. In the Ohio State University world, there's a phrase that they used to uh, refer to several coaches ago called trestle ball. Trestle ball meant that you sit on your lead and you try to run the game out. And because of this, OSU lost several key games because they tried to just sit on their lead. You see, the other team didn't get the memo. They didn't realize that they lost. I remember a story about a basketball player that had played against Kobe Bryant and they had the first three quarters or, or three um, periods of play in the game. He had stole the ball from Kobe. He had done all these amazing things against Kobe the Great. He had all these points. At the beginning of the fourth quarter, he said that Kobe Bryant came up to him, smacked him on his butt, and said, good game, young man. And he looked up at the clock thinking, wait a minute, don't we have a whole nother quarter to go? And in his mind, he was thinking, I'm going home after this game, and I'm going to tell everybody how I, you know, scored on Kobe and stole the ball from Kobe and did all this stuff against Kobe. And Kobe said, you had a good game, young fella. And then that quarter, Kobe demonstrated why he's Kobe Bryant. And he literally obliterates this player to the point where the player looked at him and said, what are you on? You got to be on something. Because I, like the first three, I, I, maybe I wasn't playing Kobe Bryant. You see, Kobe let him build up some confidence that he was only going to take away later. You see, it's important to understand who you stand with. Yes. You see, you can't sit back. God has given you victory to push you forward, yes. to propel you into your next thing. We always talk about going higher in God or moving from glory to glory, but you cannot move from glory to glory if you hold on to the little glory you got. Yes. Now understand that when you start moving your enemy ain't going to be excited. 
You see, Goliath, Goliath responds to David's advance with his own disdain. When the, when the Philistine looked and saw David, his disdain for him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and uh, was handsome in appearance, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. You see, Goliath took one look at David and thought the whole thing has to be a joke. Somebody's punking me. Because David wasn't worth his time. And in response, he started cursing David by the Philistine gods. Yet David didn't get shook up. Rather, his reply was epic. You can almost hear the music building in the background and see the passion that's etched on David's face as he gives one of the greatest battle speeches in history and introduces us to this uniquely powerful name of God. This is what he says. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Saba, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hand, and I will strike you down and will remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord and he will give you into our hands. It's with this type of motivation I declare to this city it shall not fall to evil. It shall not be defeated. We shall not quiver or faint. But we will work together, stand in unity with the power that God has given us. You see, David didn't approach Goliath with the latest technology or the newest of weapons. David didn't even mention that he was going to use a slingshot to take Goliath down. Instead, David said, he came in the name of the Lord of hosts. This is why I know that you're in the right place at the right time. Because in your conversation, you declared first and foremost, I'm a child of God. Amen. You see, God's name was enough for David to win this war because David knew God's name was more than simply a name. It was the gateway to power. You see, people of the Most High God, you've got to understand the names of God come with certain benefits and privileges, and you ought to use them. He has issued you the authority to use them in line with his will. He has, he has powerful names uniquely crafted for your specific situation. His name can get you into places you never thought you could have entered on your own, and they can give you the power to defeat the Goliaths in your life by advancing in God's name. David positioned himself to defeat someone whom everyone thought was undefeatable. By advancing in God's name, David essentially handed off the ball. You see, when a quarterback receives the hike from the center, the defensive tackle rushes him. A linebacker or a defensive back might blitz him. The opposing team makes every effort to tackle him because he has the ball. But the moment the quarterback hands off the ball to the running back 
or passes it to a receiver, a shift occurs in the pursuit. The defensive team no longer goes after the quarterback because the quarterback don't have the ball. They go after the man with the ball. So when David approaches Goliath in the full power of God's name, he handed off the ball. He said, I come to you in the name of Yehovah Saba. The name Saba essentially means army or host. David knew that because God was the Lord of the army and the creator over all, the victory was already his. Amen. You see, people can fight the, bat, the, the Lord in battle. They just can't win. David recognized God's supremacy in the situation rather than trying to handle the situation himself. He gave the battle over to God. That doesn't mean that David sat down and did nothing. Rather, he did all that he could, but he did it with one truth in mind. God would give Goliath into his hands. David knew this because Goliath was taunting David, but because Goliath was taunting God. Goliath was taunting God's people, which is something that doesn't sit too well with the king. David saw the physical battle on earth as a reflection of the spiritual battle in heaven. So what do you do when you kill a giant? Well, many of us are like the Israelites. We're wrestling with the wrong question. We're so busy trying to figure out how we're supposed to conquer the giant in our lives that we don't ask the most important question. What does God say about this giant? When you're wondering how to overcome your situation you're in or the opposition that you face, including internal opposition, addiction, fear, low self-esteem, You're thinking that the battle is yours. And in that case, you're not likely to succeed. You see, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. In this case, I am not trying to offend you, but you are not smart enough, clever enough, or strong enough To beat an enemy from another realm. This is why the battle belongs to the Lord. You see, Goliath was no ordinary foe. What this city is facing is not ordinary. You see, Goliath was a giant with a genealogy that reached way back in time. David could never have beaten Goliath on his own. No man could have done that. Many of the struggles and the challenges that we face simply stem from living in a fallen world. But others are strategies that are set in motion by the devil to trip you up, to defeat you, and to keep you from reaching the place where God would have you to go. Accept it. Satan has your game film. He has studied you. He knows your weakness. He knows exactly what to do to get you to go where you would never think of going and do what you would never dream of doing. He knows how to paralyze you in fear or get you sidetracked on seemingly good things in order to keep you from what is the best thing, the destiny and the victory for which you have been created. You see, David killed Goliath because he knew the battle wasn't his. He saw that Goliath had not been circumcised and therefore wasn't covered by Israel's covenant with Jehovah. 
Not only that, but he saw that this uncircumcised giant was taunting the living God. And once David saw the spiritual core of the physical crisis, he could rest on God's willingness to fight and his ability to win. He knew that the hosts of heaven would fight beside him and for him. So David rested, and the confidence that he had in God didn't send him to a prayer tent to hang out and wait it out. Mm -hmm. You see, prayer is essential, but rarely is it the only thing that God asks us to do. David's rest and confidence led him to a brook where he grabbed five stones. And then he put these stones into a bag and took it from a, a, and, and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. You see, David prevails with a sling and a stone. The passage in Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, 49 through 50, specifically points out that he didn't even have a sword in his hand. God wants us to know this was a divinely orchestrated victory. I have confidence in what I hear from God day by day, and I can declare that this city is coming out And it's not coming out through the means of men, through the means of women. It's coming out through the power of God. It's coming out because God has put the right people in the right place who are willing to stand on their confidence in him and do what he has anointed them to do. God has divinely orchestrated the victory for our city. This way no man would be able to boast that it was of them that they did these things. The glory and the honor and the credit goes to God. Yes, sir. Some of the most incredible things that God will ever do in your life will occur when you think you have nothing. You think you're not positioned to move forward. Make that change. Advance uh, in your destiny. Defeat your giant. But that's precisely when God is most likely to show up and show out. When he wins your battle, you know who did it. You know who ought to get the glory. And when the next giant shows up, you know who is going to defeat him too. Jehovah Saba. We have faith. Just last Sunday, little Brielle was seizing out on the chair. And we laid hands on her and we prayed for her and she came back. And we declared in that moment that the doctors would find no defect. And the testimony is there's no defect. You cannot tell me we do not serve a miracle working God. The director, when he approached earlier, he said he understands he cannot do it by himself. It's going to take unity. You see, for too long, the city of Columbus has become fractured. It's become disjointed. It's become dysfunctional. But God, in his divine wisdom, has has begun to put people in positions that are willing to work together. 
that are willing to look not at their differences as a deficit, but as a strength. Who are willing to work with one another to stand in unity. You see, the devil knows he cannot win against a united foe. He cannot win against a united foe. If we ever truly come together the way God would have us come together. You've heard me say it was never the intention of Jesus to open a Baptist church, to open an apostolic church, to open a Pentecostal church, to open a Catholic church, to open an Episcopalian church, to open an African Methodist church. That was never God's intention. God's intention was to open up the church of Jesus Christ. People who were in right standing because of what Jesus did. People with restored relationship. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say there weren't other ways. He said he is the only way to that destination. There's other ways you can go. The problem is, is you won't end up where you want to be. So he didn't call us to be splintered or fractured. He called us to come together, to stand together as one. He is one body, even though it has many members. Hallelujah. The giants that we face, whether they're the ones we face in the city or whether they're the ones you face in your house, can all be defeated when you stand in Christ, when you stand in Christ, that is the most important thing. Don't look at your giant and let your giant affect you. Look at your giant and you affect your giant. God gave us emotions to engage life, not to be controlled. Your emotions were never intended to control you. They were intended for you to experience all that life is. Use them for what they were purposed for so that you can move forward in the things that God has assigned for you to do. Each of us plays a part. None of us can sit on the sideline. None of us. It doesn't matter what it is God has called you to do. You do what God has called you to do to the best of your God-given ability. And as you're doing what you're called to do, and you're doing what you're called to do, because God has put it together, the ultimate goal will be met. I'm not the director of public safety for the city of Columbus. So I can't act like I am. I can't try to strategize like I am. But what I can do as a sergeant for the division of police is do what sergeants do to the best of my ability to support the plan and the strategy that's laid out by the director. So that as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and everyone else is doing what they're supposed to do, the vision is being carried out, we can enjoy the success that is our promise. That is the promise of God for his people. 
that you would have life and have it more abundantly. And this is what I believe. Let us come together, work together, function together in the status that God has placed you. Function in that anointing and you will see a revival in this city like we've never seen before. Because that's what this city needs. It is starving for revival because the enemy we face is not the one holding the gun. It is the spiritual power behind them that's influencing their behavior. The church has to come together to engage the spiritual conflict while God has positioned men and women to work together to deal with the physical fallout. And we're believing God for great success. Hallelujah. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. For your grace and your truth. For your love and your protection. Some of us are fighting the greatest giants that we've ever faced in our lives. You know the situation in this city. But I believe, Father, you've already begun to position the right people in the right place so that the right things can happen. We've already begun to see change in cooperation between agencies in this city. We've seen the desire to work together, to come together, to solve the problem together without worrying about who gets the glory for it. Father, continue to minister your grace to them. To our leaders, bless them and keep them. Give them clarity and understanding, vision and direction. Give them understanding of what the populace is dealing with. That through compassion they might come together with an agenda that meets every need. Then Father, supply this city with the necessary resources to carry out what must be done. For we know our success rests in you. So we thank you right now by faith. That this city is not going into deeper problems, but we're coming out. We, we testify right now by faith that you're bringing this city out of this dilemma. We declare by faith, Father, that your anointing is upon this city to break the yoke of bondage that's tried to enslave it and imprison it. We believe by faith right now that you are the God that hears and delivers. Father, now do what only you can do. Charge thine angels to make war against the angel that is encamped in this place, that's fighting against the angels of God. This fallen angel, this demon, this devil, this spiritual power that is in place over this city. Beat him, it back by your power and your love. Let your love permeate through the streets of this city. Let it engage every member of this city. And let us once again stand together as one city, united, living in great peace with one another. Some might say that this is a pipe dream, Lord. Some might say that we'll never see that day again. But I believe that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. 
And Father, I stand in agreement with you because your word declares that whatsoever we loose in the earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatsoever we bind in the earth shall be bound in heaven. So I bind the work of the enemy in the name of Jesus. I bind the work of disunity, of disruption, and dysfunction. I bind the power of hatred. I loose now the power of your love and your peace in the name of Jesus that we might declare we called upon the name of the Lord and were saved even as his word says that he is a God that cannot lie and he has manifested his truth in our life. Father, now in the name of Jesus, take this congregation of people to their respective homes and destinations. Minister your grace to them. Meet them at the point of their need. Touch their bodies, their minds, their spirits. Where healing is needed, loose healing. Let thy virtue flow now. Restore you, the creator of the body, the sustainer of life, the giver of breath. Father, now minister to the physical need of the body. Whatever is going on, Father, meet your people. Keep them in your care. Prosper them as only you can. As they seek after you, Father, let the blessings that you've promised would seek after them come into their hands. And let them become a conduit of that blessing into the lives of others. For we have all come to serve. Now, even that which we've heard today, let it minister to our minds that as we leave this place, we would leave it with a spirit of service that we would go out and serve our brothers and sisters invigorated with your power and your strength and your truth, empowered by your love. Let us be the change that the city needs. Let us be the change that our children need. Let us be the change that our spouse needs. Let us be the change that our friends need. Let us be the change. Let us be the spark that ignites a fire that changes this city. In the name of Jesus, we thank you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Consider yourself dismissed. Please greet one another in the name of Jesus.